If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are back. Oh, yeah, baby. And listen, if you are struggling with the Bible, if you do have questions about things, if you just don't know what to do with this whole Christianity thing, you're in the right place because we are going to help you. We are in the middle of a series right now, and uh, we're going through the pillars of the Christian faith, knocking them down one by one. And in this episode, we're going to jump on the resurrection. It's going to be awesome. But before we do that, let's do some introductions. My name is Keith Giles. I am the uh, author of the Jesus Un series, which looks at deconstruction and reconstruction topics, including the just recently released Jesus Unarmed, How the Prince of Peace Disarms Our Violence. Oh my and God, am- who the hell cares? Yeah, okay. Sorry, man. I had to. <laughs> Lots of love from uh, my co-host here <laughs> and uh, my producer. So um, yes, I am joined by my lovely and talented co-hosts, Derek, Matt, and Katie. Please uh, say hello to our lovely listeners. I'm Katie Valentine, and I'm super nervous to go now because I don't know what Matt is going to (laughs) pop up on me for who the hell cares. Um, So I'm going to try to be very brief and very interesting. Uh, I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook group, and I'm excited to talk about resurrection and resuscitation and coming back to life. I feel like I've had several resurrections and deaths this past year. Yeah, I'm Derek Day. I am the author of Deconstructing Religion, the host of the Forward Podcast, and the co-host of Freeology Fridays with Aaron Tomlinson. And I also write the Love Minus Religion blog on patheos.com. And I'm going to have a choir book this year. God damn it. I promise. (laughs) And I am uh, Matt DiStefano, and I have taken over the role of producer, which has really gone to my head, guys. (laughs) Who the hell cares? (laughs) (laughs) well i care and i've got buttons here and if you guys piss me off i'm gonna press them and uh no i'm just playing i'm just having a little (laughs) bit of fun just just having a little fun i'm excited it's a new year it feels like um 2021 was like an extension of 2020 and probably 2022 is going to be the same so we press forward with this series and uh, hopefully some good series in the new year Serieses. Serieses. Is that the plural of series? Uh, Isn't series already a plural? Siri. I don't know. Nothing matters anymore, Keith. So just go go with it. But yes, excited for... Yes, Katie. Why would you say that about 2022? Is that the kind of thing you say? And then if it's really awesome, we're like, get pleasantly surprised? I'm a a cynic at heart. Uh So I, I always see the negative in things. That's right. That's what my life coach has told me to do. Always bring the joy. Always bring the sunshine. You know know that 2022 is pronounced phonetically like 2020 also. Two. Yes. Oh, no. That's horrific. All right. Anyone who needs a little bit of hope, I'm I'm sending your uh, fairy dust your way. 2022 is going to be great. Woo-woo. It will end. It's a woo-woo. Get your woo-woo on. Yes. Yeah. So excited for excited for this episode. And uh, Derek, excited for your announcement. Yeah, because we have a hotline. If you want to reach the cast, the characters of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, you can exercise finger dexterity. Get that index finger going. 
and dial 240-343-7379. Once again, that's 240-343-7379. And we have, I don't know, is this a text? I don't know. Email? What the hell is a text? This is a text. It's a text. All right, well, let's roll that fucking text footage. Interested to know your thoughts on the Amazon Prime documentary called Marketing the Messiah. Love your podcast. Thank you for all you do. I love I love the love. I love the love. love. I love and the love. Thanks for the love. Well, I can just honestly say until you just said those three words, marketing the Messiah, I had never heard of such a thing on Amazon Prime that's called a documentary by that name. So all I can say is, um, I don't know. But anybody else? Let's take a sur- let's take a survey. Has anyone seen it? No, but I was wondering. I'm wondering is, is you know marketing the Messiah like pimping the prelate? Something it might yeah. be. It's it fascinating. It's an intriguing title. I will say one of the uh, one of the pitfalls of 2020 2021 is how many times I've rewatched Downton Abbey. I don't watch new things. I watch <laughs> old things that give me comfort. So I'll put it on the list over here in Europe. I actually do get Amazon Prime, so I will watch it. But I love that you love the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yes, we love the love. So I haven't seen it either. So here's a challenge to all of our Heresy After Hours Facebook group members, which is our free group that Katie has told you about for the last year and a half. Heresy After Hours. If you've seen it, go go put something in there. Put your thoughts in there. Check it out. Let us know what you think. I, Katie, like you, have been watching basically old stuff. I'm binge watching Seinfeld uh, right now, though I did watch Don't Look Up recently. Oh, yeah, that was and, good. I, I love it. I did watch that. And it is it is enjoyable in a sick and twisted sort of depressing way. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I also saw, speaking of Netflix films, uh, there was a film that just came out, I think a couple of days ago, called The Lost Daughter. And Maggie Gyllenhaal, the uh, the actress, directed it. It's her first directed film. And uh, Wendy and I both loved it. It was really, really good. So shameless plugs going on here. There you go. Well, <laughs> anonymous texter. Yeah, anonymous texter, thank you for um, get, keeping us on our toes and encouraging us to branch out and watch new things. I think we should all watch something about marketing the Messiah, though, and come back and maybe report on it so we can actually give an answer. Maybe, maybe in the next episode. Yes. At least one of us. If at least one of us could watch that, please. And right. then we'll come back next episode. There you go. This has the potential of being an episode unto itself. There you go. Possibly. If it's, if it's good enough. The title's fantastic, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. No, not the not the movie, the te- the topic, the topic. Oh yeah, the topic. topic is, yeah. yeah. Oh it yeah. It is yeah, provocative. Yeah. I agree. See, now, I agree. I just wish I just wish that the texter who asked the question could have just given us a but thrown thrown us a bit of a bone like if you've seen it, what did you think about it because then that would have, you know. <laughs> he said bone. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I got a button for that. <laughs> okay. There we go. Thank you for the bone. Appreciate we it so much. really we really made a long answer out of a sort of basic answer was, I don't know, our, that no, was our answer, but we've talked about it for like five minutes. So that's how good of a question <laughs> it is. speaks to the talent of this of this, Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> exactly. We can talk about any, we can talk about nothing for like, I don't know, a whole hour. Isn't that what we always kind of do? Anyway? Kind of <laughs> I think 
Maybe maybe Matt's watching Seinfeld kind of inspired that or the show about nothing. So well, we have a in addition to a wonderful episode where we're going to be talking about the pillar of the faith, resurrection. We also, of course, as always, have a wonderful heretic of the week uh, to introduce you to. You're going to love this interview. And then we'll be talking about resurrection right after. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Chris Scratcher, and I am... A heretic. Hi, Chris. <laughs> oh, yes. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Well, Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Awesome to be here, my friend. Yeah, man. I'm excited. Hey. Yeah, this is cool. So, hey, um, well, you know, we always start off uh, asking the question, you know, why would anybody call you a heretic? What's going on? Oh, uh, man. I would say probably because... Boy, my spirituality is always changing and people don't like change. And, uh, you know, um, what I believed probably even just two years ago is different than what I believe now. You know, in the Christian world, um, spiritual growth is, is a lot of something that uh, is not actually encouraged when it comes to belief change. You know, as a conservative evangelical pastor, that's the last thing you want to do is yeah. to go out with a different message. Um, so I learned quickly on when I was an evangelical pastor that that was a big no-no. Um, so being a heretic, no, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, in my thoughts and beliefs, comparatively speaking to where much of Christianity is now, my thoughts on salvation, thoughts on uh, who God is, hell, heaven, uh, what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, all that kind of stuff has really pushed the envelope for a lot of people. And I think instead of listening and being open to that, it's just an easy default measure to say this, and this guy is just off the chains, and we're just going to call him what the church calls those kind of people, and that is heretics. <laughs> right. And, and that's why we came up with the name Heretic Happy Hour for yeah, this podcast. All of us, all, all of us as the co-hosts have all been called heretics or worse, or worse. for exactly the reasons that you <laughs> gave uh, many, many times. So we decided, you know what, we're just going to own it because the whole heretic thing is a little ridiculous, right? Like it just means you believe something different than I do. And then uh, like what we've talked about is even the person calling you a heretic because you don't believe the same things they do, there's some other guy somewhere else who would call that guy a heretic because he doesn't exactly. agree with him on something else, right? So it's just, exactly. it's a little ridiculous. So, so I'm, I'm going to go for the jugular here, Chris. Oh, because, here we go. Because you, you were somebody that I really looked up to um, when a lot of the um, uh, police murders of black people were going on. And, and, and you were very vocal about about some of these issues and and one of the things that I I suffered from by people in the quote unquote grace movement is that people were like oh Derek don't get involved in social justice oh Derek don't don't talk about politics don't talk about race just stick to preaching Jesus stick to love and and all of that but you said something you said grace is brave be brave and so you you were saying things about you were crying out you were the voice in the wilderness you were the the uh, the watchman on the wall all of these things and that's how I saw you so I, I want you to kind of talk about some of those things because th these are things that really endeared me to you because I was like I said man I said this is a guy with a big 
pair of big brass ones. You know, he's not taking any shit off anybody. What my wife says. <laughs> so she likes to keep those things polished, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do understand, but I don't know where we get this idea that grace is passive. I just don't think grace has anything to do with passivity. In fact, it's, it's the opposite, you know, because when, when you realize what, when you've been graced, you know, if you look at grace in a different way, or one of the ways you can look at grace is what you've been empowered with. And when you've been empowered with truth, when you've been empowered with the capacity to advocate and to speak uh, truth to power and to make a difference, you can't be silent on these issues. You cannot um, shed light. You cannot not shed light into the darkness. And so for me, grace, you know, is, is, is the essence of bravery. I mean, it's, it's, it's what says, Hey, listen, I've got to do something. I've got to speak. I've got to uh, become a voice where there is no voice. I have to be stand in solidarity with the least of these. I can't just walk away. I just can't turn a deaf ear uh, because that's what grace does. Grace, you know, uh, grace reveals and, and grace compels you know, us to, to do the right thing and to see things and to speak towards them, even if it makes your knees shake, even if it, you know, and I've had that same thing, you know, people say, well, you know, you just, we all just need to love and sing Kumbaya, you know, and, and just, you know, let, you know, let those things take care of itself. You know, God works out all things for those who, you know, love God and are good, whatever that passage is. And, you know, it, it yeah, that may be true, but, but it, it's through us. It's through people who um, are willing to stand there and say, "Hey, listen, this is wrong," and and you know, I, I just don't believe in this. You know, um, let's just agree to disagree. Bullshit. I'm not going to agree to disagree with you. When my friends, when things that I care about, when things that God cares about are being hurt, when they're being marginalized, when they're being uh, condemned, when they're being, you know, hauled off to the slaughter, when, when, when parents are, you know, uh, writing off and, and sending their LGBTQ, you know, kids to the curb. I, listen, I'm not going to agree to disagree with you. That's just bullshit. I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to do it. And so for me, grace, is is a compel it's a force you know that says listen we have something to give we have something to say we have something to do and we damn well better do it and we damn well better say it and we damn well better give it yeah absolutely that's wonderful i, I totally agree man and I, it's awesome you know that you have um the courage to kind of put yourself out there. I think a lot of people. Well, and, and see that, and I don't mean to interrupt, but, but you're adding thoughts to things that, that, you know, when, when you realize what you've been graced with as a person, you have to be yourself. And how can I ever tell someone who's being marginalized or condemned or not being treated as their true self, as a human being, as a, uh, as a bearer of the image of God? How, how can you not defend that? I mean, that's what we've been graced with, right? I've been graced in, in, in free me to not be myself and to be that unapologetically and, and to allow myself to be tone policed and, and to be, you know, varnished and, and all those things. It, it just speaks completely against, you know, the heart of God and what grace means and what grace looks like, you know, when it's made manifest on earth. Yeah. I mean, what, as you're talking about that, Chris, what it reminds me of is, um, I, a friend of mine was showing, talking to me about um, this idea of shalom 
in right. the Jewish community, and um, and that it, it means much more than just simply peace. You know, we we in our English Bibles that's translated typically like peace, right? But in, in the Jewish context, shalom is a community word, and what it means is that if if uh, you and your family have enough food to eat, or have enough you know clothing or shelter or what what have you, but somebody anybody in your community doesn't. Not only do you not have shalom, no one right. has shalom until that person does. And to me, that yeah. sounds like what you're talking about is recognizing that, you know, until as long as there's people around you that are suffering, that are marginalized, yeah. that they don't have a voice, we have to speak up for that and stand up for that because that to me is uh, it's fulfilling that image, that idea, right? This biblical concept yeah. of, of uh, making sure that everyone has enough, right? Everyone has the same uh, equal rights, equal treatment, equal respect equal access to things and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I want to, I want to stick something in here real quick that, that, that the shalom is not just peacekeeping. It's right. literally the peacemaking that Jesus spoke of. In, yeah. in other words, that I'm, I'm going to put my, my social, my intellectual, my spiritual capital at risk to, to help bring about a peace that doesn't exist. And and that's 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 what I've seen you do in in your blogs and in your in your podcasts and things like that. I'm, you know, and that when when people and I'm going to give a shout out to Keith here because he's here and I'm looking at him <laughs> is, is that uh, you know Keith has done the same thing. You know, he put his social his 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 um, political and, uh, and and spiritual capital at risk to speak out uh, against people who are who are marginalized. And and when you do that. Not our, you're not just saying, okay, we're going to, like you said, Chris, we're going to agree to disagree. We're going to all just get along and sing kumbaya. No, I'm going to inject something in here that's going to fill the cracks. That's going to, uh, to help uh, a bond, you know, something that's broken and create a peace that wasn't there before. Yeah. And it's real peace. It's not fabricated. It's not, let's pretend, you know, um, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. It's it's real peace, you know, centered on truth. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's that's beautiful. Like I can remember like golly, this is probably ten years ago, when I personally first sort of like realized, hey, it's not a sin to be gay. And it's okay, right? This God doesn't hate gay people, and it doesn't even actually say that in the New Testament. And those words were changed, and blah, blah, blah. So then I started writing you know, blog posts and, and kind of standing up for my, you know, affirming my friends who are gay and, um, and trans and things like that. There is a cost to it, right? I, there was a moment where I thought, eh, if I do this, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, here it comes. I know the storm is coming. I know there's going to give it a lot of pushback. But at the same time, you recognize, right, that uh, it's not about your own comfort and your own security, right? That there, as you were saying earlier, right, you you can't really in good conscience, sort of protect your own personal interests uh, while you're watching other people suffering, right? So um, did you get any pushback? I guess I would just be curious. I mean, what kind of pushback was there, you know, when you do these kinds of things, when you speak out um, in, in your platforms? What happened for me is that, you know, my transition out of conservative evangelicalism was a process, as I think it is for most people. And, you know, in terms of the LGBTQ issue, for me, the beginning of that, was when I developed a relationship with a coworker who um, was lesbian. And, you know, I was starting to really get into the grace message and really, you know, reconsidering a lot of dynamics in my own faith at the time. And, 
you know, it just kind of hit me that A, what I'm conversing with this human person across from me and her story and her heart and who she is, is completely different than what I was reading about in, in scripture. It just wasn't the same. And then I realized that throughout my ministry as a conservative evangelical, I was always pre-qualifying people for love. You know, it's always putting them through a measuring stick, through a, through, through a, um, you know, through a jury in my heart of God forbid I love this person too much and send them the wrong message that they're actually okay. Right. I mean, fuck (laughs) that. I mean, that would just be ridiculous as an evangelical. And so I just, I just had to let, I just had to take those nets off, you know, and say, God damn it, I'm not going to love like that anymore. And I'm going to, re-examine this whole issue of the LGBTQ thing. And so like many of us have done, I started reading and I started reading from the other side of the issue. Right. And and the more I read and the more I started, I was like, oh my God, I am so wrong about this. Yeah. And see, like, not like, I mean, some people come from this angle differently. I, I didn't have a dog in the race. My son's not gay. My children aren't gay. I don't have a family member who's, who's, uh, you know, gay. And so there wasn't this idea of, well, I just need to reevaluate this in order to somehow figure out how I'm going to love this person who's close to me. This was just coming out of a pure matter of just, I want to get to the freaking truth about this. I can't live like this and, and not be at peace with what's going on in my heart. And so I just searched it out and I realized I was wrong. And so the first blog that I ever wrote about it, I wasn't a writer. I wasn't intentionally writing in my life. I didn't even see myself as a writer at all. I just wrote a blog that said, you know, you know, dear pastor, friend, family member, whatever the title was. And the last part was, what if you're wrong? And that really started everything overnight that that just had thousands and thousands of hits on it. And that really began the journey of, to where I am now. But yes, that transition cost a tremendous amount. I did a message in the church that had started and we were, we were a progressive church by all means. I mean, we were a church where you didn't have to, uh, you know, where we agreed to disagree on a lot of issues where we said, Hey, we're just going to love each other. You can be here. You can be there in your faith. You can be uh, affirming, not affirming. You can be this, all this kind of stuff. We gave a lot of, a lot of ground for people to, to bob and weave through their spiritual life. Right. And then I came up with this series and, and I'll tell you the story. Um, I came with this series of messages where I was going to touch on controversial issues, you know, in Christian life, you know, the Bible, hell, heaven, all that kind of stuff. And I was going to look at it at a different angle that maybe most people had looked at this stuff. At the front of this message series, I said, listen, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to like me. We can all be together. Let's not let this be something. I'm just going to show you. I'm just going to give you another way of looking at these issues. Well, we did series, message one was about heaven, and then we had Bible, and then we got to homosexuality. And I went line by line, verse by verse, to the clobber passages, and I thought, you know, everything was cool. But then a couple things happened. One, a week before, when this, before this message was coming up, and everybody knew it was coming up because we always put out our series ahead of time, the bass player in our worship team, which I was a part of, he courted me after the practice, and this is the Sunday before the Sunday. This is a week early. He says, Chris, I just can't be here next week. I said, what's going on? 
he says, well, you know, I I know what you're going to talk about. I said, okay, cool, man. I said, listen, you know, if you don't agree with it, listen, you're just going to still be on the worship team. It's not a big deal, man. Just, just relax. He said, Chris, he said, I'm sorry. I can't be there. I said, and I literally said to him, this is quote. I said, Hey man, listen, what are you afraid of? And he literally didn't take, but more two, three seconds to answer that. And this is what he said. He said, Chris, I'm afraid you're going to convince me. And that very Sunday, he was not there. And that Sunday, after I got done with that message, three of our families who are top givers texted me after the service or sought me after the service and said, hey, Chris, we love you. We believe you. We love this church. But in this community with our families, we just, we just can't do this. So we ended up actually having to close down because we just had a, a, a tailspin. We were meeting in a school. Wow. And I had two other staff people. We just couldn't do it. Wow. So you believe this. Now, this, it gets better. <laughs> so, yes, better. Two, okay. Yeah. Two or three weeks later, you know, four weeks later, we're, we're trying to regroup. We're trying to, you know, you know, recover from all this. And there was a few people who still wanted to gather. And so we said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to go solicit this coffee house in downtown Boylan Springs. It had a large space. It had a place for the stage. We thought, you know, we, we can figure this out. We can, we can transition to this. We'll, we'll figure out a way. It's the best space that we could find. I met with the owners of it. I said, hey, man, I just want to put all my cards on the table for you guys. We're a progressive church. You know, here's what's happened, blah, blah, blah. Can we, you know, rent this space out? And they're like, you know, hey, yeah, we don't discriminate in our business. It'll be just fine. No worries. Well, they're right across from a basically Baptist college, Gardner Webb uh-huh. University, right? And so we were like, okay, hey, these people are go. We're going to make our plans. We even advertised for it. And listen to this, guys. Four days, you want to talk about cost, four days before our reopening, the lady texts me. She doesn't call me. She doesn't say, hey, Chris, come in here. She said, Chris, I'm sorry. We just can't do this. Hmm. And word was on the street that the reason why is because people heard that we were going to go in there and they said they were no longer going to be their clients and they would no longer be sending them to their business. Oh, my gosh, man. And so then, you know, the cost of it was, you know, um, and then you then you then you see people in Walmart, don't you? Old friends, people who loved you at one point, but then they don't love you now. They would talk to you at one point, but they don't talk to you now. And now when you see them in the Walmart, you see them at the, you know, the Ingles, our, our, you know, whatever kind of food mark you guys have over there. But whatever your, your grocery store is, you see them there, you see them out, you see them at, you know, soccer games. And it's like a totally different dynamic. And there's a huge relational cost a huge relational cost to this issue. And, and I remember the, the one of the people said to me, hey, Chris, you know, it's, it's not that we disagree with you. It's that we just don't know what it's going to be like when we visit our family and they know about this. Wow. And so for wow. them, a lot of people, it's not a cognitive issue even. It's not a creedal issue. It's not a belief issue. It, it's an issue of, holy crap, what dominoes are going to fall for me? If I stand on this line. Yeah. And this is exactly, this is exactly right, Chris. I mean, this is the kind of thing I've experienced a lot of that as well. Not to the same level because I wasn't pastoring a church at the time, but um, it's funny to me to hear you say that that was the backlash over this, over this specific issue. Cause yeah, I heard it wasn't about her. Her. 
I know. I was going to say. Normally it's, normally, it's about you know. Hey, I don't think it, I believe eternal torment anymore. And that's when it that's wasn't even about. Truth. It wasn't even about the Bible. We <laughs> talked about we talked about the infallibility and errancy of the Bible. That was fine. And, and they're like, you know what? Cool. But man, we must have, <laughs> you, you talk about two men being together, yeah. or two women being together, or someone you know being bisexual, and all bets are off. It's so, so, so that, crazy. that brings it to the uh, the, the next question is. How did you reach this point? Because you, you said you were formerly an, a conservative evangelical pastor. And, and, and I suspect that you probably came up in a conservative evangelical way. So, so what, what was the catalyst? What, what cracked the shell for you that, that allowed you to break beyond this wall and, and, and to see beyond the, the, the conventional evangelical paradigm? How did you get past that? What was the... Yeah, well, there was a couple of things. One, I came to some crisis points in my life. One was with, with my health. And, and, and I think if people had to say, Chris, what was the biggest thing? It's where I had to, I just got honest with myself. And I realized the conservative evangelical system of faith doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You don't get any better. You can become worse. The sin management system doesn't make sin better. It makes sin worse. You, you, it, it makes you less like Jesus. It makes you a, a worse husband. It makes you a worse father. It makes you a hater of people. It makes you uncompassionate and judgmental. And, and I had to be honest and say, this fucking doesn't work. And, and I'm not going to play the game anymore. I'm tired of, of, of putting every egg in the evangelical basket and coming up with shit. Yeah. I mean, I tried to be the mega pastor. I wanted that so bad. I pray fucking harder than anybody else. I tithe. My wife and I were the top freaking givers in the church half the time. Wow. We gave not more. We gave like 15% of yeah. our income. We sacrificed like, yeah, I started a church from the very ground. I mean, I had my wife one time call me on their copper and say, listen, Chris, this was back in the day of, of those um, uh, pagers. And she said to me, Chris, if you answer that goddamn pager one more time while we're fucking walking on the beach here trying to have a night to ourselves, I am, it's, I'm done with this. And, and I was addicted to ministry. I was addicted to this thing where if I just tried enough, if I just prayed enough, if I just, you know, you know, worked out enough, if I just got on that spiritual goddamn treadmill and beat the shit out of it, someday God's going to give me my heart's desire. Well, let me tell you something. That never happened. And not only did it not happen, it got worse and worse and worse to finally one day I'm up in our bedroom in our townhouse in Salisbury and I'm about to, I told my wife, I said, listen, honey, you need to go find somebody else for to be your husband. And wow. you just need to find a better father for the kids because I can't do this anymore and they need better and you need better. And I was on the verge of suicide at that point. Whew. And finally, the grace message came into my heart, and then that just started unraveling everything, and I realized all of this was shit. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, and thank God, you know, there were people around me who said, Chris, yes, it is shit, but, 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 but we, can, we can walk in a new way, and you don't have to throw out Jesus with the baby water, you know, and, 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 and that became the transition. And over time, that led me to all kinds of issues, the infallibility of the Bible, 
every issue that, you know, that evangelicalism stands for. And it just unraveled. And that came all with it, even to the LGBTQ issue. But that's how I got there. Mm-hmm. And and I thank God. But I look back now, and as many of you people do, I do, all of our friends do, and say, oh, my freaking God, I can't believe the person I had become. I talk to evangelical pastors now and you know that all that jargon, just you need to pray harder and just lean on like bury your head in the word of God. And I just want to vomit it on my mouth. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just saying, oh my God, that was me. Yeah. I remember preaching a message on a Sunday morning and and this lady uh, had come up to me uh, weeks earlier and said, hey, listen, I'm bringing my gay uh, friend to church this, this, in this, on this particular Sunday. And I just want you to know about it. And, and, you know, and, and I just want, I want to introduce her to you because I, you know, I think she might like everything here. And, and this was why I was an evangelical guy, you know, hellfire brimstone. And listen, in my heart, when I knew that day was coming, I prepared in the message, I figured out a way to slide it in the message that those who are homosexual, are condemned Gosh. and not living and, and outside the heart of God. And I kid you not, I preached that message, 300 and 400 people were there, and I could see that lady and her friend walk out the side. Yeah. And I, and I felt, this is the problem. I felt good about that. And I felt like I was going to high five the, the, the choir afterwards. And they're like, yes, man, preach the gospel. And let me tell you something. I am so embarrassed and and heartbroken that that was me. And God damn, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life changing that for other people. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. Oh, dude. Wow. What a, oh man. I, 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 I just hearing you tell that story, I'm thinking about times that I've done very similar things and and you're right at the time thinking, oh, Jesus is smiling down on me because I just spoke this condemning word, but I'm, I'm telling the truth, you know, the truth that hurts and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you look back and you go, man, oh, if I could just take that back, that really sucked. Oh, man. So are you, are you still pastoring a church right now? No, no, I'm not. I, I just do my stuff online and writing and books and yeah. blogs and, yeah. you know, keeping up with everything else. That's it. Yeah. That's the church. And you know, it is come, you know, people call me pastor online and I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, so I've been doing this thing for a couple of years now called Square One that walks people through deconstruction into reconstruction. And you know what, man, every time it runs for 12 weeks and every single time I've done my like my 10th time right now. And every single round of this, of this uh, thing that I do, this community that I lead, there's at least one, sometimes two or three pastors in, the, in that group. Yeah. And it always blows people away. They're like, there's a pastor in here. I'm like, dude, I'm yeah. shocked if there's not a pastor in here. Thank and God. so hearing you tell that story, I, it's, I, I'm really grateful that people get to hear you from the, like someone from behind the pulpit, kind of sharing your process and, and the pain and everything that you went through. Because, um, as, as painful as deconstruction is, I mean, anyone who's gone through it knows it sucks. It's not sexy. It's not fun. Uh, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, you lose. So many key relationships, support, family members, friends, church members, you know, people that, like you said, uh, pretend not to recognize you at Walmart and all that. And, um, and so it sucks just for the average Joe. But I mean, when you are a pastor of a church, 
your livelihood depends on you playing this game and pretending that getting up every Sunday and preaching stuff you don't believe anymore, that, that it, it just, it, it exponentially is harder and worse to deconstruct your faith as a pastor. I can, I could, I could tell those kind of stories too. It's like, um, when, when, when I started uh, preaching the grace message first and then uh, began to get vocal about social issues. Uh, it, it, I was I was sort of a darling here in the area and people, you know, big preachers are like, hey, we're going to have you come over and preach for us. But once, you know, once the paradigm changes, like not only <laughs> those invitations dry up, but even exactly. the phone calls, the conversations, the coffees, all of that stopped. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yep, it's for real. And, you know, the sad thing is I think there's a lot, I think there's a, a lot of pastors out there who deep down, deep down are, are, are having the same issues and, and, and don't believe a lot of the words that they have been imprisoned to speak and say and stand for. And yet they just, they just don't either know what to do or the ramifications of doing it are just too great. And so they play the game. They just say, hey, you know what? At this point, you know what? I'm just going to collect the paycheck and let's just see what happens, you know? And, and I don't, I'm not shaming anybody for that. I'm just being descriptive. I, I think, I mean, you know, for some time that was me until I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But see, those are really your options, right? I mean, if, you, if you're, if you're that's that's only option. you only have two options. You either, um, just blow the whole thing up and, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, like, Hey everybody, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. See ya. Or, well, maybe there's three options. Cause I actually have to, I, there is a, there is a third option. I'll tell you that in a minute. The, the, the second option is pretend and fake it and just secretly, you know, I don't believe this crap, but I got to play along because I got to support my family. The third option, and I don't know, I'm curious if you, if you at least attempt this, maybe you probably did. The third option, I think, is to say, you know what? I think if I preach a series of sermons over the next six years, I can slowly change the temperature in this church, and I'll change these Southern Baptist evangelical conservatives into agreeing with me that the Bible's not inerrant and infallible, and that hell is not eternal. And and then usually that doesn't work well. But I mean, I think that's the third option. Is like the, to think in your mind, I think I can bring these people along with me, right? Yeah. Well, just ask Stan Mitchell. I mean, you know, he would be a case uh, of hey, this. This might have worked, maybe, but man, it, I mean, it was just the, the tree was cut to the, to the bone and the cost. I mean, you, you have to start over. I mean, you know, um, there, there's just, you know, trying to, you know, resurrect what the people are always trying to put to death. You know, I I think that's a impossible project, no matter how long you give it, because at least in my neck of the woods, these people would rather see the church die than to change. Yeah. And dying is what it needs. Oh, see, no, I would say I totally agree with you. I actually think, you know, when people are posting these statistics, like, oh, the churches are dying and and people are leaving. I'm like, yes, good. Yes. Revival is finally working. <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right, dude. I like this. Uh, there's even a meme going around, right? It's like, um, it's. The, I think the image is the one from, uh, the, what is it, Talladega Nights, 
where uh, Will Ferrell's praying. Yes, yeah, you know, I haven't seen that. Please bring revival. And then like yeah. people questioning their, uh, you know, jettisoning all this toxic theology yeah. and finding a Jesus that loves everybody. No, 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 not like that, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, messed up. <laughs> yeah, oh, this is great. Well, Chris, this is awesome because I didn't know you before this conversation and now you're like my best friend. I love you, man. I want to, <laughs> I want to hang out. I want to do stuff. Let's, let's, let's uh, stay in touch. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, how can people uh, who also fall in love with you here in this podcast, uh, how can they hear more about you? I know you've got a book, please talk about that and a blog and a, you know, all that other stuff. Uh, you know, tell us all about what's going on with you and how we can keep up with you. Yeah, so there's a few ways. First of all, I have a brand new book out, Stupid Shit Heard in Church, and the truth that will wipe you clean. <laughs> I love that subtitle. Love that, yeah. The subtitle makes it. And by the way, the cover is beautiful too. Yeah, the it's cover, that designer from Canada just, <laughs> that was the first design she submitted back. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, and you know, I don't know if people interpret it that way, but I certainly interpreted the finger painting of shit as being the finger painting of the use of shit. Yes, just actual yeah. shit. That actual <laughs> shit. I mean, but anyway, uh, that book is out. Amazon, you can find it there. Um, buy it, uh, burn it if you have to, whatever works for you. But spend that money. And then do whatever you want with it. That's right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, and then chriscratzer.com. That's C H R I S K R A T Z E R.com is where. I blog, and then I've got a podcast that is on Apple, Apple, and then also uh, Spotify, and uh, you know pretty much where podcasts are. That's the Grace is Brave, Be Brave podcast, and then of course I'm on Facebook, and then Instagram. I don't do a whole lot of Twitter for some reason, but uh, those are the main places to find me, and would love to connect with any and everyone. Awesome. Well, this has been so, so wonderful. Very refreshing, Chris. Um, thank you for speaking out. Thank you for using your voice and your platform and telling your story and being very vulnerable and honest and transparent with the whole thing. I think that's very beautiful. And I know it's helping people. I guess it's got to be something that I can just see people who uh, come alongside you and read your book and listen to your podcast and stuff. And and saying, yep, okay, this this makes sense to me. And hopefully other pastors. I mean, because I know there's a lot more out there Gosh. Uh, just like you. Yeah. yeah, yeah you're definitely one of my heroes, man. Well, you guys are heroes to me too. I mean, we all need to to have all of our voices out there. You just can't get enough voices, you know? And um, I mean, golly, this is just, it's crazy what's going on right now. But but you know what? If we stick together and, and shout from the mountain, someone's going to hear. That's right. Someone's exactly going to hear right. and listen. So love you guys. Yeah, man. Love you too, Chris. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, wow. Chris Kratzer. I, I have a new best friend. I, I love this man. I, it's funny because like, I seriously had never heard of this guy before he was our heretic of the week. But yeah, but loved it. Great guy. Just a, just a wonderful guy. I told you. Sorry to have missed it. Can't wait to hear it. Sorry, Chris. I, uh, I, I have known Chris for a couple of years now, so I was kind of bummed out that I wasn't there. But I'm sure... Uh, that everything was lovely without me, though not up to probably, you know, our standards here without, you know, mm -hmm. myself. But, you know, Chris, nice job. Thanks for coming on the show. Glad we finally got you. And uh, glad you're kicking off uh, this wonderful 
topic today, yep. the resurrection. Yeah, I, I got a right. chance to actually read some of his book, which is actually very good. But but Chris is somebody that I've uh, I've, I've loved and admired for a long time, and uh, and it was really good to get him on. I, I think that he made a very fine heretic. He was wonderful, and I think we forgot to bust his balls, uh, Matt, on, in your behalf. <clears throat> I don't know if you want to mention that, but um, we didn't bring we didn't bring up the thing that you were wanting us to bring up. Then I, I don't I don't rem- I might have been high when I said something. Was, uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was something to do like you helped him with a book or something, and he. Oh, I did. I did help him with a book. Thing. Yeah, did you get that yeah. thing? I ooh, 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 that thing. The guy, the guy, the guy about the thing. Yeah, that was a good book. I haven't read his second book. So, but his first book was very good. So what do we think? What do we think? The resurrection. This is a big deal for a lot of people. I say this isn't a pillar. It's like the pillar. It's one of the main, well, that's why we call this the pillars of the faith, right? This is a huge, huge topic. And it's something that it's really funny because Christians have debated this probably just as much as non-Christians have debated it with when like atheists or Christians. And I atheists like to have call it, it Jesus's refectory period. <laughs> well, that would be the second coming, I think, right? That's um, probably true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so so I guess here's the thing, right? So when it comes to the resurrection debate, I, well, let's say this, uh, at least among Christians, I think, it's the typically, it's not, did it happen or not? Did it not happen? I think it's typically, did it, was Jesus' resurrection a literal, physical, like a resuscitation of the same body? Or was the resurrection more of a spiritual kind of a thing where Jesus... The, you know, Jesus was killed, crucified, he died, his body died, but that, that his disciples had some sort of a spiritual experience of Jesus after his death that, um, that may or may not have been necessarily physical. Yeah, I have two words, actually three. Habeas fucking corpus. Produce the body. How do we know that this resurrection happened? And is it important? Is it, is it really a thing? Because if, if I'm, I'm looking for like, you know, someplace like in the, you know, what, 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 what is that church that's built on the site of the resurrection in Jerusalem or in Israel? The Church of the Sepulchre. The, yeah, exactly. You know, that maybe there ought to be a little bit of radioactive residue there. You know, something that, mm. that, that indicates something really super, supernatural happen? I don't know. I would tend to say that it matters and it doesn't. Like I, I, I would say that it doesn't matter in the sense of like what metaphysically took place. But for me, I would say that it's important to our psychology if we don't have a neurotic fear of death, which I think the resurrection in whatever form we believe kind of helps. Uh, I think humans are such that we we cause a lot of harm because of our fear of death, wars, things like that. And so if we, um, if we don't have that fear, I, I, we, we tend to, to, I think, live a healthier, happier life. That being said, obviously we don't need something like the Christian understanding of resurrection because in Buddhism, they believe that the Buddha is alive in, in all, all people. Well, a lot of Buddhists believe that. So... Yes and no. I'm problematizing thing. Everyone listen. Uh, you could take a shot now. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'll just quickly say, like, um, I've watched probably way too many um, of these kinds of debates online uh, over the last couple of years. And I really, personally, I think I fall 
more on the lines of someone like Marcus Borg or John Dominic Crossan, who I've seen debate some other uh, sort of fundamentalist evangelical Christians who want to argue that that it had to be a physical resurrection. And what Borg and Crossan have said is that um, that in fact, in their opinion, you know, that like since the Apostle Paul's only experience of Christ was a spiritual one, right? So he's, you know, and by his own testimony, uh, he Jesus appears to him in a vision. He sees it, no one else does, even though there's people with him, they don't see anything. And if they hear anything, it's like thunder in the sky or something. But uh, so, you know, but Paul says, I saw Jesus, Jesus spoke to me, I had this encounter with the, the resurrected Christ. And that that encounter, because it wasn't with a physical body, um, that, you know, it, that, it, that it really doesn't matter. Like that, in fact, they would, you know, I think Borg even said in one of the debates that he did that, that if you could have confronted Paul the Apostle and said to him, hey, here's the dead body of Jesus, let's go look at it, it wouldn't have meant, it wouldn't have meant anything to Paul. He would have said like, that is, that's irrelevant. That's beside the point. That the resurrection that he's talking about is more of a, a spiritual resurrection, like the ongoing life of Christ outside of his body. So um, that's that's at least one perspective. I mean, not again, of course, a lot of Christians don't agree with that. But I, I would at least want to defend that as a one valid potential, quote unquote, Christian view of the resurrection. So I, I will say for me personally, I've been at both kind of poles about this in my own spiritual journey. Like I, I've been in the, this is, this is a metaphor for spiritual resurrection and the physical body isn't important. But I've circled back around, not in a fundamentalist way, but in a way that actually centers the body as being very important. And I, the one thing I think we can say pretty indisputably is that Christ was crucified. Jesus was crucified. It's the mantra of, of early Christians, of all the New Testament writers, Christ who was crucified, especially Paul. Um, and that the resurrection is the, is the central story that all four gospels have in common, that Paul has in common, that the rest of the New Testament writers have in common. They, they don't really specify what the resurrection was about. But I actually want to centralize the importance of the resurrected body and the, like, the physical body as being um, centrally important in the story. And I'm very thankful to Jane Schaberg. Um, if y'all haven't read her, or listeners, if you haven't read her book, uh, the, uh, I think The Resurrection of Mary Magdalene is the name of it. And Jane died five or six years ago. Uh, it's really good. And she talks about how something must have happened to the body of Jesus, whether it was a resurrection, whether the disciples went, kind of like the early uh, stories were right. The disciple they were worried that the disciples would go and mess with the mess with the body, but something happened to the body of Jesus after Jesus' death. And I don't want to discount that because we discount bodies all the time. Now, we discount women's bodies. We discount bodies of people of color, and so I want to actually pay attention to the to the dead and the living body of Jesus. Uh, in in the story. So I think I've actually come back around to the resurrection of the, the bodily physical resurrection of Jesus being really important. To me, it's not critical um, that someone believe that in order to be some kind of follower of Jesus, but it has become more important to me. And what we one of the things we know about the way that ancient people conceived of 
bodies and of matter were that um, beings like angels and demons had bodies, but those bodies were intangible and imperceptible to humans. So they were very flexible. They were very spiritual. And so I'm also wondering if the idea that the resurrected Jesus, um, that Jesus' resurrection in a body could actually be a body, but be less tangible than most humans, you know, than we experience our 3D world now. And um, so I'll put all that out there. Um, was that like, was I way too esoteric and nope. uh, non-comprehensible? No, uh, because there, there's a lot I agree with you on that. It, because the body, the body is important. Because honestly, if there is no physical body, then what separates Jesus from anyone else? What what makes him special? Because if, if you say, okay, it's a spiritual resurrection, well, okay, you know, then we say that there's hope that everybody will be spiritually resurrected. But Paul goes forth and talks about the the quickening of the dead, the the the, the resurrection of actual people. And when you start talking about that, now you have to have a physical resurrection in order to hang the hope of physical resurrections for everyone else, the whole rapture theology, right? So yes, the body is is actually important, but where I would veer away from what you said, Katie, is that I don't see where there is a body. I, I, and and my, my thing is, let there be forensic evidence to speak for an event. And if you don't have that forensic evidence, then let the subject remain silent. Yeah, um, I think to me, I could, this is why I kind of lean more on the resurrection of Jesus not being the bodily resurrection. Because like as I said, you know, when Paul, uh, what is it in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's describing his experience of Jesus. He says, you know, Jesus appeared, uh, and by the way, this isn't, <laughs> well, this is what, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, although it's not technically accurate. But what he says is that Jesus appeared, you know, he rose from the dead and he appeared first to Peter, although we know it actually was Mary Magdalene. But anyway, uh, he says first to Peter, then to the disciples, to the 12, not of course to Judas, but to the disciples, then to James and then to 500 people. And then he says, finally to me. Well, Paul, in that sequence there, you know, he's. it seems as what he's doing is saying that the vision, uh, that, that the appearance of Jesus to first to Peter, then to the 12, then to James and the 500, and then finally to him are similar. In other words, if they, and if that's the case, we know that the appearance of Jesus to Paul was not physical, it was a vision. And then, um, again, I'm just kind of going off of the playlist of, of the kinds of things of, of what we see, the way it's described in the New Testament, like Jesus appears in a locked room. Physical bodies don't do that. Um, he's, you know, he's walking along the road with the two guys for a couple of hours. They don't recognize him. And when they do recognize him, what, what does he do? He vanishes uh, like a spirit, right? Um, he appears in both Jerusalem and Luke and John and in Galilee, in Matthew and John. He appears to Stephen, who sees him as in a vision uh, as he's dying. Uh, and of course, he appears to Paul in a vision. And of course, then he appears in a vision to the author of Revelation. So, like, it seems as if these kinds of quote unquote appearances of Jesus don't necessarily need to be the physical body of Jesus. And to your point, Derek, I think it's a good point. The assumption that, because I hear, I heard this all the time growing up, 
well, you know, the physical body of the resurrection of Jesus is is important because that's how I'm promised that I'm going to experience a physical resurrection. And I and I would say to that, I'm not expecting to have a physical resurrection, although I do expect that when this body dies, my spirit will continue to be alive, and I would call that kind of a thing uh, a sort of a, a, a resurrection. Here's the other thing that's interesting too, real quick, is that quite often when Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus, he'll say, "We, you know, Christ was raised, and we have been in the in the present tense. We have been raised with Him," meaning. Jesus resurrected, but now we have a resurrection, a kind of a resurrection, in other words, from an old way of living to a new way of living. Again, that, the resurrection that we experience, sort of, quote unquote, first resurrection is here and now in this life. And then after I die, I would say the second resurrection is I continue to live. I have another life after this one that isn't necessarily physical. And I would say probably isn't physical, but maybe it is. Maybe I'm reincarnated, right, Katie? Maybe that's what it looks like. I don't know. But I, I think there's just other ways to to think of it that are not as cut and dried as at least I was told growing up as an evangelical. Yeah, I think maybe this is too metaphorical, but piggybacking off of that, like if when I think of the resurrection, you know, you think of something like John 20, when the risen Christ comes back to the disciples and is preaching forgiveness and grace and all that. But what if what if we live in the resurrected here and now, going back to you know the the point of a present tense resurrection every time we show compassion and empathy to one another, maybe that's w- without fear maybe you know we expect fear right the the disciples are like you know they're shaken what's what's a risen Jesus going to come to right now? Well, what if when we live when we don't live with fear, we're already living in that resurrected reality uh, again, how that metaphysically plays out. I don't, for me personally, this is just me. I don't need to know. You know what I mean? So you live without fear now. You live with empathy and compassion, which Derek, I love. I'm always going to use that as the definition of love ever <laughs> since I heard you say it. And it's like, that's when you live in the resurrected reality. And and I completely agree with that, Matt. That the, when you come to the point where I don't need to look for external salvation, I don't need to look for... Uh, all, all of these trappings that I am operating in empathy and compassion, then I'm actually operating in the resurrection. But this thing about the body, and we talked about this before in a previous episode because we were talking about, about quantum mechanics, quantum physics. And, and I really believe that this whole thing about, uh, about Jesus and the resurrected body, that it, that this is the thing that if Jesus is a real person and if the resurrection actually did happen, then this is the thing. That, because now we have a human being that has elevated their frequency to the level where they're operating at the, at, at the point where matter doesn't matter. In other words, I'm able to tr- transcend um, solid matter. I'm able to transcend time and space. And, and, and this, if you think about the whole concept of, you know, the, the resurrection and the glorified body, this is the thing. Because if we, if we have this, then we have actually something to, to really look forward to. I mean, in other words, when, when I was still in Christianity, my thing was is that, I, I get resurrected, and and in my glory, my glorified body, I'm now able to dive to the bottom of Challenger Deep. 
I'm able to, to, uh, to visit the sun. I'm able to transcend dimensions and see things that I wasn't able to see in my three-dimensional body. So it, it, it's, this, is, this is to me why if, if there is going to be a Jesus narrative that is worth following, then it has to have this resurrected body. It, it has to have a resurrected physical body. That's, that's me. Now, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have to be, I guess, my, and, and that's great. And I again, that's what this podcast is all about, is everybody having an opportunity to share different views and all that. And that's, that's what I love about the podcast. Um, I guess I would look, look at it like things don't have to be literal to be real or to be true, right? So that things can be still be true without necessarily being literal but yeah and I, I'm not I'm not opposed to that at all Keith I, I when when you when you talk about that I, I honestly see your point I see your, yeah, yeah I see your heart in it and and so yeah, yeah. I, I I don't want to say that I'm saying this at the expense of what you believe or what you think this is just you know oh yeah the gospel according to Derek absolutely it seems that like, it seems like we're making some pretty modern assumptions about what a resurrection of the body has to look like. And one of the things I'm really enjoying about the New Testament witnesses is that they're, they actually show me that, that sort of the ancient, I think, conception and that we could be invited to adopt is that the resurrection of the body isn't the stable thing that we might think it has to be. So when G, if Jesus' body is resurrected, it doesn't have to look exactly like the earthly Jesus looked. Um, and that the body is um, has these multi dimensions, like Derek was saying. So, um, I'm, Derek, I'm totally with you. If we could write, um, we could write a great trilogy about about. This. So, so that um, that makes sense, Katie. When you talk about like the the Emmaus Road experience, that these yeah, disciples yeah. didn't recognize Jesus. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, and that, but that doesn't to me that doesn't mean, and even the and even the appearance to Paul. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a body. So when I think when people see angels, they are seeing a body, but that body doesn't have the same physicality that I have or that the table I'm sitting at it has or that any of us have right now. The physicality of the body changes and is more malleable. Um, it has the appear, it has the ability mm. to shift. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, to me, I think that's, and I'm, I'm not defending a literalism here. Y'all y'all all know me well, well enough to know that's not the case. Um, but centralizing the body is so important to me. And forgive me, actually, don't forgive me. I'm just going to say it. It's kind of a male thing to say that like the body isn't important because <laughs> a lot of men's bodies haven't been put, um, especially white men, the bodies have not been put to the test in the same way that people of color and women's bodies have. And so the body can be not important. Katie says, I'm <laughs> Yeah, but I, 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 when we're talking about the body, uh, especially the body of Christ, uh, most of the New Testament seems to carry forward the idea of this phrase and this concept of the body of Christ to you and me. So I would agree in that sense. The body absolutely matters, and we are the body of Christ. So again, to me, this goes back to the idea, the original idea, that the the physical body of the individual known as Jesus of Nazareth is less important than the continuation of the life and the body of Christ resurrected in the body of Christ, which is us. 
people, right? So um, I again, I, I see it more as a metaphor, but not just a metaphor. Again, because this is the problem. I think when we talk about metaphors, the assumption is well, we're not talking. We're talking about something that isn't real, and I, I'm not. I don't think that it's not real. I think it's very real, right? To like to uh, again, it's like if if somebody were to say to me that they were out walking in the park and they had an experience with Jesus and they really felt the presence of Jesus and they said, you know what, I felt like Jesus was there with me and Jesus spoke to me and I had a wonderful encounter with Christ. I would agree with them, but I would not expect that if I was walking behind them with a camera that I could have snapped a photograph of the two of them together. That doesn't mean I don't believe that something didn't happen. I'm just saying it didn't happen in a physical sense, but, but it did happen. Right. And so things can be real and without needing to be physical. And yet at the same time, the experience of Christ that we can have, and, and pe- I think people have had from the beginning with Christ has been in the body, but I just think the body isn't Jesus' body. It's our body. Right. And so again, it's just another way of looking at it. So Keith, you, you said something there, and I'm just going to throw something really nerdy out in, in the midst of all of this. It, it, it's like the difference between a real number, an imaginary number, and an unreal number. Now, we know that, that in, the, in the big scheme of things, they're all numbers, and they all have value. But are, are we able to perceive or to understand or to, to make sense of it in a real tangible sense, or does it only make sense in the context of a broader equation? And that I think is a very good, a very good analogy. Katie, I love, I love your point about the body and it got me thinking about like scars and the scars we have. And it's almost like the way I see scars are just, they, they tell our stories. They, they can be, you know, we think of them as imperfections, but I, I don't, I don't think of them that way. So when Jesus has his scars in his hands, I think that's important. And I don't, and again, I, throughout this whole episode, and I'll continue to say I'm agnostic about the whole thing because it's not one of those things that, I, that I'm going to hold tightly. But I think the, the mentioning about the importance of the body and the importance of fleshiness and the fact that it's messy and the fact that it's real, I think, carries some weight. And that, you know, that, that's, that got me thinking. And this whole episode, by the way, let me just have a, ref, you know, a refrain here. It's been fantastic and it's going to get me thinking. Hopefully it's going to get listeners thinking too. Yeah. The, uh, I'm also thinking about the testimony in John with Thomas. Thank you for bringing that up, Matt, because I, I hadn't really thought about this one. Like that's a really important part of this, the appearance of Jesus to Thomas, right? Like Thomas doesn't believe it unless he can see the the nails and put his finger in the side and, and all of that. Um, and then Jesus is like, yeah, here you go. Uh, I mean, he shows that to him. And so there's in the latest gospel that's written, I mean, John probably isn't written until like the year 100. We're talking about 70 years after the crucifixion. Um, and so they're still wrestling. You know, I think early Christians are also wrestling with the, um, with the body of uh, with the body of Jesus and that resurrection. I'm also curious, I'll just kind of throw this, turn in and see if anyone uh, wants to go down this road with me. But when we talk about like resurrections, today we have technology where people die and come back to life, like they're clinically dead and then they come back to life all the time. Um, and so I'm curious if that like has importance in this conversation when we're, when we're talking about the importance of the body and how people experience um, new life, like literally how people experience new life um, or not. 
Well, you know, Jesus raised, what was it, three people from the dead, according to the Gospels, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. And one of the things that I, I went back and looked at in my deconstruction, my reverse engineering, was where are the testimonies of the people that have went to the other side and came back? Where are those testimonies? Because nothing would speak louder regarding what the importance of the resurrection is than someone who actually physically experienced it. And yet we don't, we don't see that. We don't experience that. And so that's left to conjecture. And the other thing is, and, and this has been a personal thing with me, how can I trust my eternal destiny, my eternal soul with someone who doesn't make a real tangible difference in my life right now? And and I and I really had to. This is this is a personal struggle of mine. I'm I'm being very transparent here, because if, if, if I could point to something where this actually made a difference, where this actually influenced or impacted my life in some real tangible way that I could share with someone, other than a, a, a testimony of my my spiritual you know, experience and so on and so forth. I mean, something real tangible. And I, I have trouble with that. So, so I'm, I'm looking for, like, the, the, in the resurrection, Jesus tells Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Before he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. So, so why then couldn't Lazarus tell us concretely, empirically, specifically what actually takes place in the resurrection well what i'm going to i'm going to tap into my inner jamal what if what if what jesus is saying is something if we all knew who if we all knew ourselves to the same degree jesus knew himself what if we all could say that and 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 i'm with you on that i'm completely that 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 is pretty much where i am that if it, in in other in other words, for us to experience our sonship, if you will, that that it, to to experience our own divinity, that somehow we're going to have to dispense with all the bullshit that's been given us, and 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 we're going to have to really experience what what is what does it mean to be resurrected? What does it mean to be raised from the dead? Now, so um, yeah, Derek, I wish that. Um, ancient people thought empirically the same way we did and gave firsthand accounts. But, you know, in, in scripture, we very rarely see internal monologues or um, kind of descriptions. And it's just not a very descriptive book uh, in general, like Old Testament or New Testament. So yeah, I would love a little, I would love a little firsthand from Lazarus or uh, any of these people. But, <laughs> but, but, but watch this, the, the rich man of Lazarus. They, that that was that was one of these things, and and the evangelicals always go to that story as their it's their go to empirical definition of hell. Sure, yeah, interesting because it's like a parable, right? So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a parable, but, the, yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's just funny because that's actually like the opposite of a you know true, quote unquote true story, right? Um, but. 
you know, the I think when we're talking about the resurrection, it's hard to talk about the resurrection without the crucifixion. And the really traditional understanding of the resurrection is that Christ defeats death. I, that gets really, really twisted in evangelical circles where it's a defeat of Satan or a defeat of evil. Um, but classically, it's not been understood that way. That's a very modern interpretation. Classically, the resurrection is understood that death is not the final answer. Um, and so to me, I, I mean, I found myself weirdly traditional in, in this way um, that offers a very concrete, tangible hope um, for me that like Christ comes back from the dead and that that's not the final answer. And he, uh, Christ experienced a, a really brutal death. And it's not that the death is, um, I don't, the death isn't undermined or, or I don't want to sort of sweep that away with the resurrection, but the resurrection of the body means that that doesn't have, like that injustice doesn't have the final answer. Um, a brutal death, a senseless death, a death by violence um, isn't, doesn't have the final say. So it's actually a statement of justice to me to talk about the resurrection. It's a statement of justice. It's a statement of um, that, that God is involved in our earthly lives, that we all resurrect in some way. And whether that resurrection is in our um, daily life and the way that we live our lives and having kind of resurrection experiences and that our deaths won't be the final answer. And yes, Keith, I did catch the reincarnation. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. We get to come back in new bodies. We don't, we get to have a new experience. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see, I, I like what you're saying, Katie. And this is why, and again, just to me, that's why I guess I approach it all from this metaphorical perspective. Like, Again, it seems to me, at least, again, like as Derek, you always say, your, your mileage may vary, but it just seems to me that the the main point that it, that the New Testament authors are trying to make around these these ideas of the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and even the second coming or even the Sandy Ascension and the second coming of Jesus is not to argue so much for the literal physicality of those things as much as it is trying to say that, again, because Christ died, we all died. Because Christ has risen, we all have been risen. Because Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, we're all seated at the right hand of the Father. And, you know, and so again, like, to, to talk about the ascension quickly, like, the point of the ascension is not that there is a flesh and blood well, with ner a nervous system and a brain and a blood, you know, a uh, circulatory system, there's that there's a living, breathing human being, corpuscular person who floated into the sky, broke off of the orbit of planet Earth and shot through space and out of the Milky Way galaxy and physically somewhere is sitting in a chair next to God. That is ridiculous to me. I think the whole point of the ascension is that it's a, it is a metaphor. It's saying that Christ now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has ascended to the Father's right hand. And again, metaphorically, spiritually, therefore, we are too. That that's the point. That the point is more about the the reality of of that spiritual metaphor not the reality that Jesus is in a physical body floating around in space somewhere, you know, or sitting on a chair next to God. Like, that to me, I mean, I just Jesus can't. <laughs> right? I just, I, that's where you lose me, or like, I lose it when it becomes like, oh no, this physically, literally happened. Because I think, I mean, just real briefly, like, even when I used to 
be an evangelical Christian. And when I would talk about or teach on this idea of the ascension of Jesus, you know, you say, okay, Jesus was there standing there in the garden in front of them, and the disciple was talking to them, and all of a sudden he started rising up into the air, and they are looking up into the sky, and then there's Jesus, and he goes beyond the clouds, and there he goes, he's a little dot, and now he's gone. I still, it's in my, in my thinking, I'm still thinking, yeah, it's, but at some point, his body became a physical, a spiritual body to go and to be in the presence of God. Like, I never, ever thought that his body just continued on a trajectory and he's like Superman, like flying in space. Like, I, I just never could go there. Like, well, no, it can't continue to be that way. That, that's ridiculous. He would suffocate when he got, you know, to like 50,000 feet or whatever. So I don't know. That's just where I come. That's where I, how I, how I approach it. Well, it seems like we're we're trying to answer a question that writers of the Bible were not trying to answer. I don't think any writer of the Bible was saying, was this metaphorical? Was this spiritual? Was this physical? They're, they're, none of them are asking that, right? They're, they're assuming something. And I think what we're trying to do is to figure out what it is that they're assuming, right? They're making some kind of assumptions that we are no longer making because we have a very different scientific understanding of the body a very different scientific understanding of resurrection. We have a very different understanding of like what it means to tell a story. So they're assuming something that we don't share with them any longer. So like, Keith, I don't, I don't think, I mean, my perception is that like none of the biblical, you know, no one that's writing about the Ascension, which is really just the book of Acts, that person also doesn't, isn't making the same assumptions. And also they had no idea what it would be like to be a mile in the air. Right. Right, like they, so they, they don't have that same assumption that that Jesus would suffocate. Exactly, that the resurrected body of Christ would suffocate. Right, and right. so that's so there, but that doesn't mean that they're assuming that the body isn't there. Right, like they're just they're, the way that they're even thinking about the body is very different than the way we think about the body, and I, I find that really fascinating. And we could talk about it more in the bonus. Perhaps I, think that's, I, I think, have more yeah. ideas. Yeah, I'm Let's imagining do that. Superman Let's Jesus do that. now, like. Right. Flying through the ascension air. Jesus with a, instead of a S, he's got a J. <laughs> <laughs> Flying through the air with his cape. It, what, 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 well, like, yeah, let's, what was that movie with, well, uh, with, with, um, uh, what's his name? Tim Robbins, uh, the Mars movie. God, the Mars movie. I, I can't, I can't, but, it, but anyway, Tim, <laughs> toward the end of, toward the end of it, Tim Robbins, you know, he's out in space. He's on a spacewalk and, and he realizes that, that, if he goes back to the ship, everybody's going to die. So he decides to, you know, you know, sacrifice himself. And he just turns into this, you know, uh, bruised icicle, you know. And as whenever I think about Jesus in space, you know, I think about Woody, you know, in space, you know, turned into this awful icicle. I'm sorry, that's, that's the imagery. That's what I got. Right. Well, and obviously... Obviously, in the bonus content, we have to talk about Betty White because we need her to be resurrected. She just died at the time Jesus, that we're recording yes. this. Betty White will live on forever in all of us for eternity. Thank you. For in, indeed, indeed. Well, before we get to the bonus uh, stuff for our Patreon subscribers, I want to tell everyone about our website. It is heretichappyhour.com. Of course, you can get all of our new episodes on there, but there's so much more. Heretics of the Week, we have their books on there, mo- most of them. I can't, I can't promise all of them. Marcion didn't write any books, so we don't have any of his. Uh, but we have so many others, and it's generally 15% off. We also have swag t-shirts 
We've got all sorts of goodies. So head on over to heretichappyhour.com and check it out. And y'all come talk about the Amazon Prime uh, show, Marketing, what was it called? Marketing the Messiah? Marketing. Yeah. Marketing the Messiah and our free <laughs> Facebook group, Heresy. <laughs> Heresy After Hours, totally free Facebook group. Um, the, the Christmas and New Year's memes have been really outstanding. And so no one should miss this. It's not too late to get in there. Uh, just search for Heresy After, After Hours on Facebook. You'll join a couple of thousand heretics like you um, asking the really fun and tough questions. Yes, and um, for all the all of you who do support the Heretic Happy Hour podcast on Patreon, we love you. We appreciate you so much. It means so much to us. We love creating bonus content for you guys and sharing that with you, and also um, being able to interact with you in the private Facebook group, the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. And so, um, if you are a listener and you love the podcast and you haven't yet joined the few, the proud, the Patreon supporters. You can do that right away. Go to patreon.com slash hour. Join up, support us, unlock so many amazing goodies. And um, you know what? You're gonna, if you did that, I think if you did that, your 2022 would be exponentially better. You would, you would have so much more joy in your life. You'd be so happy. You'd have so much great content. There's a chance, there's a really good chance that if you did that, like in January, you could make it till you, you could like listen to bonus content from now to the end of the year and probably not, not even get through all of it. There's so much on there already. And if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, I highly encourage you to go out to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Because if you give us a five-star rating, that you will experience resurrection from the dead, a second coming. Ah, guaranteed. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that just feel wonderful? The second one's almost as good as the first, usually. Yeah. According to Sade, it's never as good as the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally looking at this Mission to Mars movie, and now I don't know how I've never seen it. So you've added to my list. Marketing the Messiah and Mission to Mars. It's not really good. I don't think it's very good. I thought it was excellent. That's not the point of a bad sci-fi movie. Okay. It's bad. Is that John no, Carpenter? No, that? it's not campy. It's it's actually it John Cheadle in it. Yeah. Oh, John Cheadle, oh, okay. Tim Robbins. I'm totally on board. Yeah. All right, maybe Don Cheadle can save it.